נשמת חנוך בן חייב יוסף הלוי, זיכרונו לברכה. I don't know exactly who that is, but I'm thankful to whoever decided to help us out in this way. Uh, the parasha Breshit, oh, not bad. The parasha Breshit is, uh, I mean, could, you could easily spend a lifetime on Breshit. Uh, luckily, the weeks pass and we can get to Noach. But it's very difficult, very difficult to deal with Breshit. Um, my, only, my only suggestion is uh, to learn the Rashi, learn Chumash and Rashi on Breshit. It's my only suggestion. Uh, but what we're going to do tonight is a little bit different. We're going to attack the problem of Breshit in a unique way. So if you look at the sheet on the... the, 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 the you see Pirkei Avot. See Pirkei Avot Perik Hay. Anyway, look at look at the look at the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Basara ma'amarot nivra ha'olam. Basara ma'amarot nivra ha'olam. With three, with ten, ten times, God said, "Let it be." Ma'amar is the Hebrew word Aleph Mem Resh, or Lemor, to say that the God created the world by saying, let there be this and let there be that. And so the Mishnah says that there were ten of them. The Mishnah said there were ten of them. Now, if you look for ten, you're only going to find nine. But this is part of a parcel of things that are ten. So it could be, it could be that the, whoever wrote the Mishnah wanted to remember a number of things that start with 10. But in the years since the Mishnah was written, um, people have tried to find the 10th. And okay, you know, they found it. Uh, they didn't find it. Uh, you know, it's up to you. It's your choice. However, however, there is a question that is related to Asarama Marot which is very difficult for us. And that is, why didn't God just say poof and the whole world came to be? Why did God create the world in stages? And as if I overcome, overcome the question of whether there were 10 or there were nine, Mama wrote, let's ignore that question. But the question that, that this is based on that this Mishnah is based on is um, is why ten different sections, right? We just read it on Simchat Torah. If you have the stamina to be in shul for Chatan Breshit, Chatan Breshit, or if you, you know, 
or honored by being Khatan Bereshit. So we just read it. Every time we came to the end of a day, we all said it together. Right? It was we make a, an issue of it. We, the people davening, make an issue of the fact that the world was not created in one go, but that there were ten different stages. Now, really, uh, on, the, on a level of simple pshadmi, what difference does it make to me? What does it make if the grasses and the trees were created on the same day as, as, as the sun and the moon and the stars, or they have a separate day? Right? I'm not talking about, we're not talking about creation. We're talking about creation. We know that, uh, you know, the Rambam says, the Rambam was a big fan of Aristotle. Uh, he was not alone. Uh, he, the Rambam, was not alone in being a big fan of Aristotle. Today, you know, people tend to ignore the power of Aristotle's creation, his ideas, the things he understood. But the Rambam, the Rambam, uh, they asked the Rambam, I'm making this up, they asked the Rambam, but Aristotle didn't believe that God created the world. Or maybe Aristotle didn't know that God created the world. So the Rambam said, the Rambam said, well, we wouldn't know either if the Torah didn't tell us. I mean, there's nothing, you can't know something that happened before you existed. So that, that uh, if everything was created at the same time, including human life, then we would know, I guess, that God created. We would know it by experience. We would experience the dawn of the world altogether. Everybody, the grass and the trees and the people. But it's not that way. It's Asara Mamarot Olam. So the Mishnah asks, Right, God could have created the world in one go, one statement. Let there be a world. Right, let there be a world which, which actually may exist to a certain extent. Right, the first pasuk in the Torah, right, the first pasuk in the Torah is uh, uh, difficult. <laughs> Why would it be otherwise? <laughs> so that sounds like, or you could say, that eta shamayim v'eta'aretz is everything. There isn't anything else. So breshit, okay, that's a tough word. We'll explain it. So you explain it somehow. Breshit bara elokim. That God created everything breshit. Right? You know that Rashi has trouble with that. Because after that, what's the next pasuk? After, I mean, that's two psukim. But the third pasuk is, But it's already created. What do you mean? How can you create the Shabbat Darts if there's no light? So there was light. Okay. Right? So Breshit Baral that Pasuk, that Pasuk could be introductory, it could be a heading, 
even though we don't usually have that in the in the Torah, but the, the Torah it says very often, There's no content. It's just an introduction. It's a way of starting something, I think. Like it, it, and God spoke to Moshe as, as follows. It's not, it, there's no content to that. There's no content to that. It's just the, the, it's, it's an introduction to what God said to Moshe. Then they have to read the next Muslim to find out what God said to Moshe Rabbeinu. So here we have it. Here we have it. The, the Mishnah asks, Ma Talmud Lomar? Ma Talmud Lomar means, what does this teach us? Right? What, what do we learn from this fact that there's Asarama Marot, Nivra HaOlam? And so I want to interpret that as saying, why Ted why Marot? It should have been in one go. The whole thing should have been one go. That's what the Mishnah says. It could have been created. So the answer to the question, I'll just translate it. To... Uh, uh, to punish the wicked, to punish the wicked, Shemabdin and Taolam Shenev Rabba Sarab Ma'amarot to destroy the world that was created by ten statements, ten different statements. In other words, the bad guys are going to get it. The bad guys are really going to get it. Somehow, it means that if the world was created at one go. We could be forgiving, more forgiving, but, but the, the idea of Sakharba Onish, reward and punishment, is built into the way the world was created. And the way the world was created was separately, right? There, there, was, there was the creation of, of day one and day two and day three up to day, day seven. And to give a reward. To the righteous, reward to the Shebekaim So you understand that the struggle, according to this Mishnah, the struggle about the existence of the world, which is something that we learn about in the parasha of Noah. Right? No? The parasha of Noah, in the parasha of Noah, God, so to speak, had to make a decision about the existence of the world that was created. And apparently, the world no longer justified existence. And so the, the flood came and destroyed everything. Okay, not everything, but more or less everything. The flood came and destroyed more or less everything. And that was a sign that this relationship didn't hold. In other words, for some reason, according to the Mishnah, God thought that Asarama Marot would make it more likely, the reward would be so great, it would be more likely that people would choose good over bad, but they chose 
bad, and the world was the world was destroyed. Okay. Then the uh, okay. Then these other mishnayot, which are on the sheet, just if this the way we are speaking is correct, it means that this idea that the way God created the world is of great significance made its way into other things of great significance. And so in, in Mishnah Bet, Asarad Dorot Me Adam Ad Noach, that the world existed for ten Dorot, apparently that was a merciful thing because there were ten generations and ten Mamarim, right? And the next Mishnah, Gimel, Asarad Nisiyonot Nitnasa Abraham Avinu Shalom that somehow the whole world, instead of being uh, kind of dependent on all the residents in the world, became dependent on Avram Avinu. If Avram Avinu could make the right decision, if he could make the right decision, right, Marot, go for the tzaddikim and, 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 and get sachar, then the world would exist according to the Mishnah. In other words, Noah, the world was destroyed. Avram Avinu, it was a similar world. Right? It was a world of, of uh, idolatry in the time of Avram Avinu. To the best of my recollection, even his father was very involved with idolatrous things. So that in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that, that uh, what changed what changed in the world was that the, the number Asara, which represents creation, right, which represents creation, it was enough for it to devolve upon one person. Avram Avinu, if there was just one person, the world would continue to exist. And that was the change. That was a change that took place between the time of Noah and the time of Abraham, Noah to Abraham, another ten. It was another ten. Okay? Then, uh, okay, Asarad Nisim Nasul Avoteinu B'Mitzrayim V'Asarad Yam. I mean, you should remember from the Haggadah. There were ten miracles in Mitzrayim. There were ten miracles at Yam Suf. So again, what happened was, the Sakhar of Onesh implied in 10, in the number 10, devolved upon a community. Avram Avinu turned into a community. The community of the children of Yaakov. And in that community, that community, because they were enslaved, they, they could be good. Like usually the bad people, it's easy to be good if you're miserable. You know, if you're really happy and you know, everything is good, so it's hard to be. It's hard to be good. So that's Mitzrayim. And then the same thing devolves on the Beit HaMikdash. So you could say, you could say that the word Asara, the word Ten, is just a way of remembering things. You know, you could say that. That's what people once said. But I'm trying to... to uh, uh, c- 
to impress you with the notion that the word asara represents creation itself. The word asara represents creation itself. First there was the creation basara, and then the continued existence basara. There was Noah, destruction of the world, and Abraham, Abraham and the slavery in Mitzrayim. And finally, the last mission on the sheet is asara nisim, that it all somehow gets represented in the Beit HaMikdash. That was the high point of the first stage of Jewish life, right? All this idea about the existence of the world and that you could all be tzaddikim through the power of tshuva, repentance, and the Beit HaMikdash, Right, that sort of like guarantees sachar. So it's also a ten. Right, asranisim nasula votenum beta mikdash. Okay, so that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. Yes. Yes? I don't hear, I don't hear. I don't really understand the, the, the base point. I, why, why ten, why a division of ten, ten creations would be worse for the evil and good for the righteous, more than just a single creation. I have to say it louder. I don't understand the basic point of why 10 creations would be worse for the evil and better for the righteous, the basic point. Okay. Can you explain it? Let's try the second source, and then we'll see if we move in that direction. Now, the second source is from a letter that Rav Cook wrote. You see at the top of the page it says, Rav Moshe Svinaria. You know that name? Yes. Rabbi Neria. Rabbi Neria was the person who founded what's called today Yeshivot B'nai Akiva. And he was a very exceptional... Um, literary and poetic kind of person. He was a wonderful writer. And he wrote a whole series of books on Rav Cook, who was his Rebbe. He came from Europe and he went to Merkaz Arav. What was Merkaz Arav in those days, you know, on Rav Cook Street? Mm-hmm. You know, where, not where it is today, but it was, it was there. So he wrote this. Now, he wrote this down. This was a letter. This was a letter that Rav Cook wrote to somebody named Dr. Zeidel. Dr. Zeidel was a doctor, but he was also very close to Rav Cook. They used to talk about things. Rav Cook used to write everything, right? And uh, and he uh, and Rav Neria, Rav Neria, who was the head of the yeshiva, he became the head of the yeshiva of Benayakiva. Did I say that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's famous, Rav Neria was famous for saying when they started Yeshivot B'nai Akiva uh, for the Dati Lumi community, whatever, whatever that was at the time. Rav Neria is reputed to have said the, that he would never allow the students in the Yeshivot B'nai Akiva to study anything secular. He said, hair will grow on the palm of my hands before I allow that to happen. 
it didn't work out for him. But he remained the Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva of B'nai Akiva. He also taught in Kfaraweh. He lived in Kfaraweh, and he taught, uh, he taught he was a, like a wonderful speaker and a, uh, very close to here to Yerushalayim, to Merkaz Arav in those days. So he wrote this letter to Hillel Zaidel. He, Rav Cook, so I'll read it and try to translate it as we go along. The greatest miracle of all miracles is the creation itself. The wonder of the creation, something from nothing. Something from nothing. It doesn't really say exactly something from nothing in the Chumash, but it's an accepted position. It's every position, the Ramban talks about it, and uh, uh, there's a source in Pirkei, the Rav Lazar, a later Medrash, that seems to say that that was the case. Like if you would imagine, if you would imagine, that, you know, there's a question, how come man was created last? It should be created first. It's most important, most important creation. Create him first. So he says, "Lu yitzuyar, lu yitzuyar." Means if you would imagine that that nevra adam lifnei briat olam, that first God would create man, like just floating there, and then afterwards a world for the man to be in, right? It's a similar to the same question that we asked that the Chumash asks about. But the Mishkan, remember the Mishkan? So God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, first build the Kalim and then build the house for the Kalim. And when Bitzalel built it, he built the building first and then the Kalim. So this question to me, in my mind, is similar to that, to that idea. Like why, why would that be? So here, Luyitsuyar, imagine Shinivra Adam Lefnebriata Olam, Vuhuamad al Nikudar Archimedit Mihutsli La Olam. You know Archimedit when when you were children you must have learned about his bathtub. Anyway, Archimedes was considered to be the great mathematician of the ancient world. Right? I mean, he was really clever and very advanced, relatively speaking. I mean, not just not just pie, but he knew he knew um, the the foundations of uh, of more advanced mathematics. So he says, he says, "Huamad al nekudar That's like a like poetry. You say an Archimedean point. Like that's all there is. Mm-hmm. There's like some mathematical point in the world that man is standing on that. The Kudatam Khutzla Olam Vaharehu Omeit Fitsofebanasa. And man created is standing on this point. I mean he has to put him someplace. So Rav Kuk, who who was not um, who was very liberal apparently about what he read. 
and what he looked into and what he knew about and was not afraid to say things that it just came out of him. Today, there's a, probably a lot of self-censorship and not everybody would mention, not all great scholars would mention uh, Socrates or Aristotle. But he wasn't that way. It says, So imagine there's a man in a non-existent world standing upon like a point, standing on a point and watching God create, create the world. Yom Rishon, this is the first day man's looking. He sees light. And the second day he sees a rakia. Right? Rakia. In English, they call it a firmament. If you like that word, it's yours. Uh, On the third day, suddenly there's dry land. And then out of that land comes grasses. And suddenly there are luminaries in the heavens. So he says, imagine, imagine God creates a man, the man is standing on a point and watching as the days pass, Another piece of the world comes into, into creation. Another piece of the world, till it's all there. If we would come afterwards and ask that person who is looking, that Adam HaRishon, that first man, he's looking at what's going on, and every day he gets another piece of the finished world. Emona ben Adam. We say to him, hey, can you tell me something? Makarakan. What happened? Maraita. What, what did you see? Hayava Daimeshivlanu. He would certainly respond. Be'inai. Ra'iti chaziti shinibraolam. With my own eyes, I saw that the world was being created. And it was all created on its own. It was created on its own. Why would he say that? Because he didn't see anything happening. It was like God, God someplace, unknown. It creates the, the, the moon. But so he doesn't so there's a man is standing there, all of a sudden he sees a moon. So they say to him, Well, what's going on? So he answers, uh, It was all created on its own. All created, I mean, nobody is no creator. There's no one there creating anything. Okay. Because the words of God. You hear, or let there be light. He didn't hear. This, this, his, this divine, these divine words. Let there be a firmament. Local uh, He didn't. He didn't hear anything.
לא הגיעו כלל לתפיסתו המוגבלת, that all of these ten things that God did to create the world, these ten מאמרות, מאמרים, these ten מאמרים that God used to create the world, he didn't hear them. This one man standing there on the point, on the Archimedean point, he didn't hear a thing. וככה יאדם מסוגל לראות את הגדול שבפלאים. And, and the way it's done, היה אדם מסוגל לראות את הגדול של הפלאים, the great miracle, את התחדשות הגדולה ביותר, the new thing that is taking place, ולהיות בטוח שאין זו אלא התרחשות טבעית. And man would think, that this is what happens. You just stand around and the, the, the sun comes here, the moon goes there, the grass goes up, and you, and you would not be committed, you would not be committed to creation. So he says there's a similar thing that happened in the world in which we live. A chain of events, a chain of events, Shosheret Ba'asim, Shekula Hafle Vafela. They're all miracles. Rak Einaim Ivrot Einan Ro'otet Ma'aseh Hashem Agadol. Only a blind person does not see the greatness of God's actions. And only uh, deaf ears don't hear the voice of God. That cuts through the history of man, uh, of man in the generations. So, in, in, in other words, what does Rav Cook say? What does Rav Cook say? That to be able to see, to be able to see development, creation, as something that comes from HaKadosh Bochu, you have to have a power, you have to have power that is beyond you're just looking at something, like nothing into something. You have to have, I mean, he doesn't say it, but I think what he means is that you have to experience, you have to experience the Torah or receiving the Torah. Because receiving the Torah is, is, is like the direct communication from God. It's the only direct communication from God that we receive the creation, right? And we emphasize that, that Yitziat Mitzrayim taught us to appreciate creation, right? For every Friday night, we say Kiddush. And when we say Kiddush, we say, Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, Zecher L'maaseh Breshit. What's the connection? What's the connection between Yitziat Mitzrayim and Maaseh Breshit? Well, since we weren't there when God created the world, we have to do it by implication. What's the implication that God created the world? The fact that God runs the world. 
If God did not run the world, he wouldn't... I mean, the only way that God could run the world, I keep using that word, God, I don't mean it. I mean, you know, the only time, the only way that Hashem could run the world is if he created the world. So that's what we say. We say that on Friday night. We say, I know, is what gives us the right to imagine that God created the world. So now let's look at what, I'll go, we'll go back over it in a minute, but look at what Rav Cook has to say at the end of this letter. See, so this is how it happened. This is how it happened. This is Rav Cook, right? He's at the, he died in 1935. Right, which, which in, this, in terms of history is like now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's 50 years or 60 years? Listen to this. There's a moment in history when the Talmidim, the students of the Baal Shem Tov, and the students of the Vilna Gaon, who you might think were opposition, oppositional forces, both decided to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's true. The Talmidei Agro came to Yerushalayim, and the Talmidei Abesh went to Tveria, ultimately. But it was the same time, the same moment, almost, in Jewish history, when these two events, when these two events took place. It orut Chibat Zion. Chibat Zion, those were the Zionists, right? The first Zionists. They wanted to go to Eretz Israel. They were Chibat Zion, that was secular, like a Shomer Tzair, and there was Chibat that was religious, like in, in Valozhin, right, the Nitziv. He says, Yisud HaMoshavot HaRishonot, the establishing of the first colonies. This was, you know, Montefiore, he paid for that. Aliyat Bilu, Bilu, Beit Yaakov, Lechuv, and Elcha. So they called themselves the first Aliyah, you know, from, from someplace in Russia. Uh, uh, one second. Mifalab shel asam atafyur, Aliyat Bilo, v'amaseh harav shel hanadiva yedua, habaron binyamin rochil zal. Not only Montefiore gave money, but Rothschild gave gave money for all of this. Et hofa'ata Baron Rothschild Zal, right? The uh, the appearance of Baron Rothschild, Ra'u Gedola Yisrael kigilui mufla shel shlichut mimarom. I'm not sure exactly who he's talking about, but we know that that's true. That the that religious Jewry in Israel and in Chutzlars, but especially in Yerushalayim, thought that the Rothschild was uh, was a divine emissary. That he saved the he saved the community. He saved the community, and he allowed for certain. You know the, that when he came to Yerushalayim, he wanted to go to Harabayit, Rothschild. Mm-hmm. And they told him that Jews can't go to Harabayat. So he, he had made for himself a, a sedan, they call it, like 
you sit in the seat and people carry you. Oh. Like before they had wheelchairs. So he got non-Jews mm -hmm. to carry him in a sedan onto Harabayit and, and to comply with, with Halakha. To comply with the Halakha. So he says, I go on Rav Shuel Moliver. Shmuel Moliver was the, one of the first great Zionists. Shedar kol nitgalgela aschut agdola azot lekarebet abaron labodet hakodesh leishuv eretz Yisrael. He was instrumental. Shmuel Moliver was in Ukraine, but he convinced the uh, Rothschild to support the the community in Israel. Amad vechriz. Haner Hama'aravi, the Western candle, is Hanadiva Yadua. Imagine that, Hanadiva Yadua, to be called today. Half the Jewish people are poor, but the other half are very rich. So we don't know who the Nadiva Yadua is anymore, but in the time of Rothschild, he was the Nadiva Yadua. That's what they called him. The well known, uh, well, the well known wealthy. Philanthropist. What? Philanthropist. What? Philanthropist. Oh, philanthropist. But that's not what the word Nadiv means. Nadiv is somebody who, who, who gives, uh, who supports, who helps, who. Uh, what do you think of that? Just the fact that Rothschild. I mean, Rothschild got, got rich in Europe, mm. right, by finagling around with banks and money. To, to, he's, he's to lend money to countries and to people who were like countries. And he, uh, and he somehow managed to make money. You know, it, it, the, the trick with lending money as a business is getting it back. As anybody who's ever dealt with Donald Trump can attest to, but uh, he did. He got it all back and he spent it in Eretz Israel. And so Rav Cook says, Rav Cook says, uh, I'm sorry. I do. I'll get it. I'll get it. Um, Last paragraph. Right, Andiba Yadua. This proves that the Shekhinah dwells in Israel. He says this great event of the creation of, uh, of the state of Israel by the hands of Herzl and the Chalutzim, they were called Chalutzim, Aliyashniya, large groups of people came from Europe, they established Kibbutzim, and the Kibbutzim uh, grew things. They grew things in the, before that time, all of the produce that Jews ate were grown by Arabs. The Shuk mm -hmm. in uh, in Yerushalayim, the shuk in uh, uh, what's it called? You'll see. Meishorim. You know, there's a shuk in Meishorim. What? 
No, not the Bukharim. Bukharim was Jewish. Yes. The Shuk in Meishorim. If you go in Rehob Meishorim, you go to Rehob Meishorim, one block over, there's a Shuk. If you go one block over, there's a Shuk, you know, people selling tomatoes and cucumbers and... Now that Shuk, that Shuk was entirely Arab. If you want to know why old Yerushalmi's knew Arabic, it's because they had to buy tomatoes in the Arab Shuk. And that's how they knew, that's how everybody knew how to speak, you know, Arabic. But that was taken over. That was taken over by Jews. Now, Binyana Masi Shechalutzei Haliyash Sniyah Vetotzami Kol Eila Hatzarat Balfour I mean, this is the way he sees history as a series of interlocking events, each of them insisting sort of that the next one is going to happen. Atol milchemet ha'olam ve'ishur ha'mandat v'sanrimo al-yedei sha'arumot ha'olam. Right, you remember? You should remember. V'chol me'ora u'me'orak shel'atzmo efshalim tso hezber hegyoni tibi. Listen to Rav Kook. This is, this is like an essential religious question that everybody has. He says, any of these events that I am mentioning could have happened naturally. People could have come to Israel. People could have planted tomatoes. People could have gotten some rich guy to build up a few buildings. And all of that could have happened. He says, hegionitivi, natural, logical. Ulam, kishesokrimi kolamorot biskira achat, mitgalet lefanecha, when you look at all of these events together, connected to each other, suddenly you see a wondrous chain each of its links connect to the next of them. Mashlima et chaverta it, it fulfills the need of the, the one before it and the one after it. Shashet asherak yad Hashem agdola hamechovenet halichot olam. Right? That only God's hand, so to speak, directing things could produce such a result. He totzeret ota. He ayotzeret ota. It creates it, the connection, and it determines what it's going to be. And Yeshayahu, he calls Neviah Geula, the prophet of, mm-hmm. of redemption. So he says, you blind people, take a good look. Take a good look at what's really happening. So what's the difference, according to Rav Cook, between the two people? One of them sees the events that take place as having no connection to each other, and the other one sees events in history as producing a kind of development, a necessary connection, which puts it all in, the, in, in with God. And that's what he, why he thinks 
That's why he thinks man was created last. Man was created last in order to be able to see the connection between all the things in creation. And by seeing the connection between all the things in creation, you are able to, uh, uh, to be worthy, to be worthy of the sachar, of the tzaddikim. Not tzaddikim in the sense of doing mitzvot, but tzaddikim in the sense of understanding the place of God in creation. So the Sarah Cook said, if, if God had created man first, then we would see things. I mean, I don't know if exactly how he proves this, but he says, if God had created man first and then the whole world afterwards, we would see the creation of the world as being a series of uh, non-connected events. Nothing would be connected to each other. But having been created last, having created, and we're going into the whole world as a finished product, so we see that everything is connected to everything else. In other words, you need the sun to give life. You need water to grow the grasses. You need animals for whatever you need. You see the interlocking nature of the world that God created. And that's the necessary religious response to the point in history where we find ourselves, according to Rav Kook, right, starting from the end of the 19th century till today, right, where, the, where, where things happen, things happen that seem to be reasonable in themselves, but the conflation of events that take place, which we call, which we call history, is, uh, is something that, that, uh, that we have to learn. We have to learn to appreciate that this all comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from, from, nowhere, from nowhere at all. So that was what Rav Cook, Rav Cook said. Once again, just to say to make sure that we understand, if you, if you see, if what you see is a disconnected world, if God had created man first, and then we would see the creation of things in a disconnected way, right? then we wouldn't be able to appreciate, wouldn't be able to appreciate the, uh, the fact that uh, creation is interrelated, like the things, that, the parts of creation are connected to each other. And so... Uh, so we go back to the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Right? Go back to the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Okay, why did God create? Not, I'm not answering the question about Asara, but is it, why is it a discontinuous function? Right? Why do we have first this and then that and then the other thing? Because, because eventually it's the creation which imposes upon us our sense of history, right? It's the creation that, that, that uh, you know, it was the creation teaches us that things have uh, some sort of independent status, but they work together. They could only exist together. They can't, it's like, uh, like the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, that they, there were no grasses that came out of the, out of the earth because there was no man to serve 
the lad. So Rashi says, what do you mean serve the lad? So Rashi says to David. No, but in, in other words, there was an incompleteness. Davening is an appreciation of things. It starts with appreciation. I mean, you can't daven if you don't have a certain conception of what davening is going to produce. Right? You have to have some kind of notion of what it is. So uh, Rashi says, in order for the world to work, one of the ingredients is man's appreciation of his role in that world. Right? And so it could be to daven. Could be to David. So the Asara Nisio note is the divisible creation of the Anandisoyot, I'm sorry, Mamarim. The ten Mamarim are the divine way of enabling man slash woman to see the interrelationship between the bricks of history. Right, and that history, like creation, because it is determined by God, is somehow uh, something we can appreciate, that we can appreciate as being part of a larger picture that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is interested in us knowing. And you know that Rav Kook, Rav Kook did not, in this regard, distinguish so well, distinguish at all between... Jews of varying religious persuasions, mm-hmm. right? He thought that everybody was in. Everybody was in somehow. Everybody participated in this history, right? Uh, you know that Rev. Cook wrote that uh, he appreciated what the Chalutzim did in Eretz Israel, and the Chalutzim, of course, he wasn't talking about religious, religious Jews. Uh, and yet... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a grand, I, today, um, today just somebody today sent me uh, an article written by Daniel Gordas. You know, Daniel Gordas, mm-hmm. he likes to write about the demise of the conservative movement. It's like one of his things. So... If you don't have something to hold on to that connects you to the larger picture, so of course you're going to just slide away, you know, slip sliding away. There's, that's what happened to the conservative movement in, in America. And uh, there's not much left of it. Uh, it used to be that they would divide up Jew, the Jewish uh, religious response to three, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like a third orthodox, a third conservative, a third reform. But today the numbers are not like that at all. Uh, there's, there's a lot of orthodox, very few conservative, and a lot of reform. The reform was saved in America by the fact that they accepted non-Jews. So there are a lot of non-Jews in the world, I mean. That can up your numbers, you know, tremendously. But uh, but the conservative movement has had it because they don't have, they 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 believe in history. But it's like a sort of a put down. It's not like a like a look what Jeff Cook is talking about. 
So I don't know the answer to the question. I don't want to avoid saying that. Okay, have a good Shabbos. If you saw the planet forming around the sun... What's that? If you saw, I'm just thinking about seeing things happening in sequence, mm. whether it's here or not. The planets around the sun have a very distinct relationship to the, to the ones before them and after them. They're not helter-skelter. There's a distinct order. Each one is approximately twice as far from the sun as the previous planet. So like Mercury, Venus, so Venus is as far twice as far from the sun as Mercury. The only oddball out is just the sun. Is what? The Earth. The Earth is the only oddball out in, in this mathematical description of this distribution of planets. There should be no Earth where the Earth is. It should go Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus. That's the city. That follows the exact description, plus or minus 10%, obviously, when I'm measuring the kilo. But the planet Earth isn't the only place where life can exist, because it's the only place where there's liquid water in the... So you don't think we'll find life hmm? anyplace else? Big part? Yeah. You don't we'll find life, find life, life elsewhere. Well, you find, might find life elsewhere, but you're not going to... Oh, come on. <laughs> Let's have life. Someplace else. <laughs> well, there's, there's plenty of stars. Really there's, there's plenty of stars. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the stars are hot. No, I understand, but there's plenty, plenty of other, other systems universe. with stars oh, and yeah, you know, right. planets circulating. Yeah. In other solar systems, you might find that. That's what I'm saying. There, there are many other solar systems. I, I guess I have trouble understanding the... To me, if you think about it, like in your illustration of bricklaying, right? If you see somebody building, taking bricks out and putting one by one, then you see at the beginning it looks like not much, and at the end you can appreciate the building, yeah. right? But if you just show up and you see the building built, it it seems less well, of Cook an accomplishment. Said, yeah, Rabbi Cook said that what you miss out is the voice that since God created the world with Dibur, mm. right. if you're just standing there, you're not going to get it. Right, so I, I guess... Who got the voice? No, but I'm listening with Cook, saying, well, it seems like in that illustration, if man would have been built, created first, and then see the creation around him, it would have been even more of an impression. Oh, all right. He didn't say that. I know, that's why no. I'm having trouble with I it. I didn't cheat, I read every word. <laughs> no, yeah. Look, there are things that, uh, that are not so clear that there's no other possible interpretation. But, but the point is that Rav Cook addresses the problem. He addresses the problem. You may think his solution is not perfect, but he's addressing the problem. So like why were that Saramama wrote that why was man created at the end? Why couldn't he be present? Uh, so he tries to answer though uh, to deal with those questions. I mean, answer is a hard thing, but he thinks he, he's thoughtful in that direction, which I, I find to be interesting. And also, I mean, obviously, it was it was subsequent to his life ending. But I mean, the, the the tragedy that followed shortly after his life, it seemed like that would have would have been the World War, yeah, Holocaust. Yeah. The Holocaust. I mean, that would that seemed would have seemed to 
overwhelmed all the other, you know, today he would look at the spread of democracy all over the world. This is the redemption. I don't see. Uh, I, I mean, the Holocaust is like a joker. You know, it doesn't really make sense. You know, in any kind of system, it doesn't make sense to us really. No matter what you say, as well, that's what seems to me to be the case. Like, I don't know what they're doing in Yad Vashem. I mean, it, it, it's if it's a it's a museum mm. of a historical moment. Okay, you know, but if it's touted to be an educational center to teach us something, I have no idea what they think they're teaching us. History. What history? Okay, history, but but it's more than history. I mean, it's like sort of like a watchtower, uh, uh, some kind of statement about who we are. Uh, what do you mean who we are? We're a very small group, and we we're always in perilous in a perilous situation, and nothing has changed. I mean. There's still Meshugoyim running mm-hmm. world, the world in different places. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to that museum. Come to the Holocaust Museum and we'll straighten you out. Rabbi Soloveitchik talked about uh, Brit Yehud as opposed to Brit Gorah. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Rabbi Soloveitchik talked about Brit Yehud as opposed to Brit Gorah. The emphasis should not be on the fact that we're all we're all decimated by the Holocaust. Well, Rabbi Salvage sort of lived through the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, by proxy. Uh, he, he lived in parallel. Yeah, no, that was, that was, you know, okay. You could say that. I know. I don't know. I mean, I, I went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington. Yes. I couldn't imagine that they say they say that they really want non-Jews to come. That's what they say about themselves. What is it they want exactly? The Holocaust Museum is going to change the state of anti-Semitism. I find that such an odd idea. Of course, you'll never know. You'll never know if it's changed the state of. Anti-Semitism. All we know is that there still seems to be a lot of anti-Semitism around. But this is we were talking about creation. This is why I was here. Okay.